Our scripture this morning is Psalm 47. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to joy with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout and the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. The word of the Lord. So I think we are all storytellers. Every single one of us is a storyteller. Now, obviously, probably none of us, but most of us are not, uh, you know, professional storytellers. Um, most of us aren't novelists. We don't write books or articles. We're not playwrights. We're not screenwriters. We don't write scripts for movies. But every single one of us, all of us, maybe even on a daily basis, are constantly telling our stories. In our conversations with each other, as we write out our resumes for job applications, in our arguments, in our daily habits, and even in the silence, even in what we don't say, and certainly in our body language, we are all telling the comedies, the tragedies, the dramas, the mysteries, the documentaries of our lives. We're all storytellers. And I think it's so interesting that the Bible is really ultimately a story. God knows how to speak our language. He's the greatest storyteller. Now you may be saying, so what does that have to do with Psalm 47, which, which we just heard? Because Psalm 47 is short, it's simple, and it's basically a praise song. That's, that's sweet, simple, short, it's a praise song. You can sum up Psalm 47 by saying, God is great. Clearly, the, the, the songwriter thought that. And that's it. This is a simple, sweet, ancient song communicating the idea that the God of the Israelites is great. But it tells a story. If you read it again and you look more closely, Psalm 47, like all great songs do, tells a story. Great music tells stories. Great music, whether it's a symphony or an oratorio or a folk song or a pop song, tells a story. And great music, like great art, it endures centuries and cultures and, and, and uh, generations because it transcends. It transcends time periods by appealing to our shared human experience. A great song from the 50s or 60s 
or a great piece of music from the 17 or 1800s communicates because you find that it shares in your experience. Now, the Psalms have endured thousands of years because they tell stories that we all relate to. They transcend time because they share in our experience. The Psalms tell stories like, I'm alone, I'm scared, I'm angry, people are against me, I've been betrayed, I've really, really, really messed up, I'm in big trouble, and I'm so scared that my body, my bones feel my anxiety. The Psalms are full of stories that transcend time that we all can relate to. And yet the Psalms, more than enduring, the Psalms are unique. They don't just transcend culture and generations, but the Psalms are unique because they sing the presence of God into our stories. We can relate to the the, the psalmist's stories, but those stories bring the presence of God into the life of whoever is singing. Whatever they're struggling with, whatever they're excited about, whatever they're, whoever they're angry at or afraid of, they're singing God into their story. So when you see a psalm like this one that opens up with these words, clap your hands, shout to God, sing praises to him, these are not only commands, but they're invitations. They're welcoming us to tell our stories better. We're all storytellers, but the God of the Bible invites you to tell your story better. As a matter of fact, our stories, your story, is incomplete without the perspective and the voice of God. And today, I'm going to help us think about, at least ask ourselves the questions What do our stories reveal about this God who calls himself our creator and says that he wants to be in relationship with us? What do our stories reveal about this God? But secondly, what do our stories reveal about us? What is your story, the one you're telling constantly in different ways, what is it revealing about you, about who you say you are, what you believe you are? And finally, what do our personal and family and corporate stories tell us about something that is absolutely critical to bring God's story and our stories together? What does your story reveal about grace? I'll explain what grace means later. But simply, what does your story reveal about God? What does it reveal about you And does your story have the thing that brings God's and yours together, the element of grace? Does your story reveal God's grace? So let's go. If you read the Old Testament specifically, the story is always about God and his glory. Whether you're reading about David or Ruth or um, Esther or Jacob or Abraham, the story, you know, it, of course, it's about them in their lives, but, but what's really happening is you're, you're learning about this God that relates to all of them. The story in the Bible is always about God, and as we sang earlier, and as our brother Lon prayed, always about God and his glory. 
So behind all the joyful singing and the shouting of Psalm 47, stories being told. Did you hear it? Sing praises, clap your hands. Did you hear the story? Look at verses three and four, where he says about God that he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. You see right there, the psalmist, the songwriter, is picturing God as a warrior king, a fighting king who defeats all of earth's mighty nations. And then in verse five, if you keep reading further, it says that God, uh, with all the shouts and and trumpets blaring around him, that God, like a warrior king who's conquered his enemies, God ascends the dais of his throne and sits down on his throne as the conqueror with all of his people shouting and singing for joy that their God has won. But the story is this, that God did all of that for this small, peculiar, out of the way, unglamorous group of people, the Israelites. The man Jacob and all of his descendants, the 12 tribes of Israel, and all their people. God conquered all the nations of the earth for this out-of-the-way, little, peculiar group of people. It even says that God chose their heritage. That word heritage, think of it as inheritance, the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land that they came to when they were rescued out of slavery, centuries of slavery, uh, under the oppression of the ancient Egyptians. And when it says the pride of Jacob, scholars believe that's, that's a way of saying the land, the land of Israel, the promised land of Canaan. Saying, God, he, he pulled us out from our slavery. He defeated all the nations for us and he gave us our own space, a space of our own. Jacob and his descendants, a land of their own. Now listen, before your t- contemporary um, um, Uh, sensibilities are bothered and offended and ruffled by this idea because it kind of does seem arrogant to say this of themselves, like, look at what God did for us, and now we've got our own space. Well, actually, it's not arrogant, and it's really not ethnocentric. You've got to remember something. The Israelites, for, for over 400 years, were slaves. And only out of that slavery did they come to find their own place. And even when they had their own place, it was this sliver of highly valuable land in the middle of a vast desert. And and for centuries, even with their own land, they were wedged in between great world powers. Like that was it, always. They were always wedged between the Egyptians to the south and then to the east it was... Assyria, and then it was Babylon, and then it was Persia, and then after them, it was the Greeks to the north and the Romans to the west. They were always stuck in the middle of bullies and great powers. And so now they're saying, the God of all of this, who's above all of this, who can defeat all the nations, is looking out for us. You know, you wouldn't accuse any victim of abuse for being happy that finally somebody with power and money came along and said, I'm going to love you, I'm going to adopt you, I'm going to defend you, and I'm going to fight for you. That's exactly what this psalm is about. 
We were nobody, we were nothing, but God came in and rescued us and loves us and protects us. That's the beauty of the Bible story. You're always hearing in the lives of its people, whether David or, or um, Rahab, the prostitute, uh, or Ruth, the refugee. You're always hearing these stories about how people were small and puny and unlovely, and all of them in some way sinful, some of them, some of them scandalously sinful, but God comes along and says, I'm changing your life. I'm gonna be a part of this. That's the story. I'm puny, I'm not worthy, I'm unlovable, I'm ugly, I've gotten into a lot of trouble and have made a lot of people's lives miserable, but God shows up. The Old Testament showed how the Jews have been given that grand narrative, that overarching story over all of life, and it gave them a worldview. It gave them a way of looking at the world and thinking about themselves, and it was totally unlike the myths and the religions and the major stories that were taking place throughout the ancient world, where, where religions and mythologies and other places were basically saying that God could not be known or that God could not be trusted. But the Jews praised the God who did make himself known to them. And they praised the God who proved himself to be trustworthy. That was their story. As a nation, that was their story. As an ethnicity, that was their story. As families and even as individuals, that was their story. We were nothing, we were no one, but God showed up to defend us and to love us. That was their story. But notice how their stories, not only told about God, but their stories told about them as well. Their stories were about God, and their stories were about themselves. As you read the Bible, you will see that the story is always about you also. The story's always about us. It's about us and our relationship to this God. For example, take the sons of Korah. Did you notice at the heading of this psalm, I usually don't talk about the headings, but they are very old. It's, it's not recent publishers that are slapping that on there. Those titles are ancient. They're original. And did you notice that the heading of Psalm 47, and have you noticed throughout this summer, the last seven or eight psalms, most of them have said a psalm of the sons of Korah. Have you ever heard of Korah? So if you go back to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 16, Korah was a man who led a rebellion, a very dangerous, a very arrogant rebellion. He tried to usurp Moses and Moses' brother Aaron, whom God had chosen to lead the Israelites out of Egypt through the desert for four decades before they entered the land of Canaan, okay? And so, uh, essentially, uh, Korah comes along and commits the greatest treason and mutiny. Korah and others died for that rebellion. The Lord judged them immediately for inciting a rebellion in the middle of the wilderness. And so Korah and many people who were a part of that, uh, uh, were a part of that rebellion uh, died in the wilderness. 
You can read about it in Numbers chapter 16. And then Numbers chapter 26 tells us that Korah's sons survived. And Korah's sons naturally left descendants. And many centuries later, it was the great King David, when David established the worship of the tabernacle and brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, David appointed as among his chief songwriters and musicians, the ones who were singing in the temple and and directing choirs and getting everybody else to sing when they came to worship and wrote all the music, the sons of Korah. Twelve psalms are attributed to the sons of Korah, and among them was the great and wise Heman, who, according to 1 Kings chapter 4, was uh, one of the most prolific and influential musicians in the Old Testament first temple period. Okay, so, Korah incites a rebellion and is remembered forever for that shameful episode. His sons survive, and centuries later, their descendants are writing praise songs to the same God whom their ancestor had rejected. Their ancestor betrayed God, and here they are writing songs of praise to that same God, songs that have endured generations that we today enjoy and read and pray about and sing. Okay, so think about it. The sons of Korah, Korah's descendants had to have, over the centuries, come to terms with their story, with their family story, with the story of their clan, who they were known for, Korah. They had to have come to terms with their own story in a way that reflected God's mercy and forgiveness. How else could they have written such joyful music? Korah, the Korah's people are writing music, right? Be like saying, like Hitler's descendants are putting music on Spotify. I'm not listening to that. Imagine the worst person, all right? Whether from history or from your own life. Imagine the worst person possible. And now imagine what if their descendants are actually a blessing to the people around them? You know, an ancestor of mine uh, committed horrible, shameful acts. And no, not in the mafia. I don't think I'm related to any people in the mafia. It's the other side of the family anyway. But you know, an ancestor of mine uh, committed horrible, shameful things. And yet, here we are, generations later, as a family, trying to be a blessing to our neighbors and to all of you. So here's my takeaway for you as I am trying to learn how to do that in my life. Here's my takeaway for you. Start listening to God's version of your story. More importantly than that, a layer beneath it, start believing God's version of your story because you tell the stories that you most believe, whether they're true or not. The current uh, psychiatrist and author, Kurt Thompson, He writes, and in his podcast, he explains that we believe and therefore we tell inaccurate stories about ourselves. And we do it every day. We do it all the time. And he writes, 
You began your life out of and into the narrative that others were already telling. It's kind of like our sister Avery said before, right? You ask a mother, what, would it, what was it like for Junior uh, to be born, right? The mother is all, your, the parents are already writing your story before you ever even come out. So Thompson says, you began your life out of and into this narrative that others were already telling. And their versions of the world continue to shape and influence the way we understand and tell our unfolding narrative. First, our parents, then teachers, friends, coaches, spouses, children, employers, employees are writing in the margins of our autobiographies. Thompson also says that we can tell our stories with God's help, more faithfully. And he doesn't mean accurately. Accurately is important. Factually, truthfully is important, right? He's like, well, so did, when, was it my sophomore year of college that the buildings came down? When, when, when that happened, when he died, was, was I in the hospital and you were at the grocery store? Facts are important. But that's not, most of us know the facts, but aren't telling our stories faithfully, Thompson says. But with God's help, we can tell them faithfully, holistically, honestly, with the right perspective. Listen to a soundbite of one of those stories. Listen to the Apostle Paul tell his own story. Paul, who once was known as the terrible Saul. Okay, listen to Paul in his own words tell his story. Just a little soundbite. Didn't you read this earlier this morning? We read this together. He said to his friend Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Another translation says, whom I am the greatest. Paul said, I'm the greatest sinner I know. I'm a big one. And every time he talked about his story, he brought up how he persecuted Christians and dragged people into court and how because of his organization and his power, people were stoned to death because they believed in Jesus. But then Jesus got a hold of Paul and everything changed. But notice how Paul told his story. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the biggest sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You see, Paul had learned how to tell his story differently. Factually, yes, but more than factually, faithfully. Because Paul be believed that God had entered into his story. Notice how he tells it. And if you read the book of Acts, he does this again and again. Paul leaves the dark episodes of his story intact. He still talks about the darkness and his sin and his hate, the hateful things that he did. And you know this, all good stories, like all good art, has contrast. The light and the dark offset one another to make something beautiful to make something that lasts, something that is true. The light, the hope, the healing was right there with the darkness as Paul learned how to tell his story from God's perspective. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do 
Learn how to listen to God's version of your story and believe it. Only then will you be able to tell it faithfully. So naturally, you have to ask yourself, what type of story have I been telling myself and other people? And again, the layer beneath that is, what type of version of the story do I actually believe? Are you still telling the story of yourself that is about a person who is unlovable or a person who is unworthy, a person who is unforgivable? Are you still telling some story about how you can never please that person in your life? A friend recently said to me, Brian, um, you call yourself a recovering Sicilian. And because I, I do talk that way, because when I was a young man, I had some issues with my temper that got me in trouble. So I usually, you know, I talk, when I, when I kind of share my story with people and we get to know, I just say, I'm a recovering Sicilian. And, you know, this friend said, Brian, I, I think you've recovered. I don't think you need to describe yourself anymore as a recovering Sicilian. I think you've recovered. And I learned something, and I never had thought about this before, but I realized that the person I had been describing to people was not the person that this man was seeing. What is the story that you believe about yourself? And what is the story that you are telling? Are you telling your story as the victim of a tragedy? You may be a very untrusting or angry person. Are you telling the story of a comedian, right? You're, you're in a Mel Brooks movie, that is your life, or your life is a Seinfeld episode. Are you telling the story as the starring comedian? Uh, maybe you are just, you know, you can't get enough love and affection and attention. You're always trying to fill that void. Are, are you telling your story as its hero? you may actually be pretty arrogant. And you know, as I look at my life and the stories that I tell about myself, I'm all of that. It depends on what part of the story you're gonna hear from me, but at some point, I will present myself as the victim, I will present myself as the comedian, I will present myself as the hero, but is it faithful? Is it true? Or am I giving you pieces of the truth? Do I even know myself? Again, Kurt Thompson, he says that we often leave out, we do not tell faithfully the chapters of our stories that involve our shame. Isn't it interesting that after Adam and Eve fall from grace, what's the first thing they do? They put on clothes, they hide their shame. And Thompson says that in a way is a big part of the story of our lives. We tell it, we believe it by finding a way to scatter or grossly misrepresent the chapters that involve our shame. It's as if, it, it would have been as if in the Bible we see the Holy Spirit completely omit the contrast between Korah's joyful descendants and Korah's shameful rebellion. What if you only got the psalm, but you never heard the backstory? What if you only got the backstory, the horrible, shameful backstory, and never got the psalm? 
Without contrast, this psalm's joy would ring and sing out weaker, wouldn't it? Well, so does your story. So do our stories. They don't ring as true when we hide and misrepresent and misunderstand the portions of it that we really need to heal from. Sinful, rebellious, shame-trapped hearts say to God, I can write my story better. I can edit my story better. You're fired. You know what, God? I'm getting a different editor. I'm hiring somebody else. I'm sick and tired of you. I'm going to call 10 publishers today, and I'm going to find someone who's going to tell my story the way I want it to be told. Forget it. I'll save money. I'll write it myself. That's what we do. But the gospel, the good news, the gospel of Christianity is that there is a story that weaves God's story and our story together so that God's story is visible and audible in the world and your story and my story become more faithful. This is the gospel. God said to rebellious humanity who stole the manuscript away from him and rewrote the story, God said, hey, I'm taking the story back. It's my story. It's his story. But he said, I'm going to write you into it. It's my story. But you have a place in it. As we say on our website, as our church website, the gospel is the great story. It's the grand narrative. It's the truest history. It's the most imaginative novel. It's the darkest tragedy. It's the most unpredictable mystery. It's the greatest epic. It's the richest romance. The gospel is the story in which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes as the hero to courageously battle Satan and sin and rescue his beloved people. The gospel is the story in which Jesus, the comedian, laughs at shame and fear and death in order to heal the brokenhearted and promise us a future of restoration. The gospel is the story in which Jesus Christ, the innocent victim, the holy, righteous, perfect lamb of God, suffers injustice and humiliation and loneliness and rejection and death so that his beloved, you, wouldn't have to by dying in their place on a Roman cross. In the gospel, God is telling you again and again how beautiful you are, how smart you are, how proud he is of you, how in his house you'll always be welcome. Among his people, in his fraternity, you are always One of us. You belong to him. You're always at the table. You'll never be kicked out. And it's like he's saying to you, hey, people have been telling you your whole life you're not beautiful, you're not smart, they're not proud of you, you don't belong with with them, and I'm telling you, 
stop listening to them. When are you going to listen to me? I sent my son to show you I love you. I love you. I love you. When are you going to listen to me? It says, it's like when Isaiah said, forget the former things. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? God is saying, are you not listening to what I'm trying to say to you? Forget what they're saying. They may never be proud of you. They may never think you're beautiful. They may never let you in their club. You may always feel like a failure around them, but not to me. When are you going to listen to me speaking truth and mercy and grace to you? This is what grace is. It is God's undeserved, unearned, forever, inexhaustible, unfading, indestructible, life-giving love for anyone who will follow his son, Jesus. Listen to the story that God is telling you. He says, you are my child whom I love. The Christian message is a living story. It's not one that the book has been closed on yet. Yes, canon, the scriptures, because some people are going to ask me, the scriptures are closed. God has spoken, especially in his son. Don't misinterpret me. But the story of Christianity is a living, breathing story, not only about what God did for us in Jesus Christ life, death, and resurrection. But the Christian message is an ongoing story about who we are and what we are becoming because of what Jesus did and who God believes and tells us we are. As Paul said to the Corinthians who were so ashamed of him, they were so embarrassed by the kind of leader and public speaker that Paul was, right? And he said to them, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not what I am because of who you want me to be and don't want me to be. I'm not what I am because of what I can't seem to be in my own strength. I'm not even the person I want to be. I am what I am because of the grace of God of God. And the sons of Korah could say that. And that's why they wrote Psalm 47. And that's why you're going to live your life learning how to believe the right story and learning how to retell your story based on the grace of God. And so as Psalm 47 says, clap your hands, all you people. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. Why? Because our stories are made complete and true and can be told more faithful because God has written himself into them. Better yet, he has written us into his story. He tells the grand story that though we are undeserving and though, yeah, in his eyes we were unlovable, he chose us. He loves us. He loves you. And as you learn how to retell your story, that's going to be the major theme in it. It's not going to be about all the medals and ribbons you won. 
It's not going to be about the person who hurt you and devastated you. It's not going to be about the job you never got. It's not going to be about the promotion that you missed. It's not going to be about your failed dreams and aspirations. It's going to be about who God says you are. As a Christian, that's what we're all that's what we're all trying to do is learn to believe and tell our stories better based on the grand story that we are his children. And he tells us through his son, you are the salt of the earth. You're no longer the, you're not the scum of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. You liven it up. You make it better than what it would be without you there. You are the light of the world. People are walking in darkness, living in darkness, believing that the darkness is all that is there. But because I made you and because I rescued you, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Do we believe that? He does, and he believes it for us when we can't. And you know what? I will believe it for you when you can't. And you can believe it for me when I can't. Kurt Thompson says, we learn to tell our stories better with one another's help. I need you. I need your perspective to understand my story better. So start listening to God's version of your story. How do you find that? You read the Bible and you talk to other Christians who love him, whom you can trust. Start listening to God's version of your story and start believing it. And I can't wait to hear it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, um, our stories would mean nothing, as one singer says, our stories would mean nothing if we have no one to tell them to. Father, thank you that you shared your story with us, that you didn't just wind this world up, set it on its course, and get out of town, that you are right here over your creation and working with us. Father, speak truth to us, truth to us and as Jesus said, give us ears to hear. And may we learn our stories anew from the perspective of your son in his name. Amen.